Hey everybody, it's Pastor Isaac, lead pastor of Shore Christian Church, and I'm so excited that you are checking out this sermon. I pray that it blesses you. It is from our latest series, I Am, and this series focuses on the seven I Am statements of Jesus in the book of John. And we pray that this blesses you. If it does, we want to ask you to do two things. Uh, one, subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you can get more encouraging and empowering sermons like this every single week. And also, uh, if you want to help us get these sermons out to more people and uh, get the gospel out to, uh, to people that need it the most, uh, we encourage you to make a donation on the below link and it would be greatly appreciated. And we just pray that God blesses you through this sermon. Check it out. Uh, all right, here we go. Part three of the I Am series. Part one, we talked about when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, that he is our Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. And we don't need to worry about the how. We just need to be concerned about the who. That a lot of times Jehovah Jireh will provide for us in different ways in different seasons. And then last week we learned about when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, that even in the midst of darkness, that light can shine so bright. And uh, now we are going to... Uh, uh, look at the third statement, but we're going to start in the book of Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to go to uh, uh, the first kind of story of uh, um, when sin kind of entered the world, and we've been spitting out seeds ever since then, and it takes place in Genesis chapter 3, and we have Adam and Eve. A lot of you may know the story. Uh, if you don't, I'll, I'll break it down to you. They were in a perfect environment. They were in a place where there was no shame. There was uh, no heartache, no sorrow, uh, beautiful climate, 72 degrees and sunny every day. Do I hear an amen? Take me there, Florida. Hey, Bruce, Joyce, welcome back. Our Florida people are back. All right. And, and so uh, it, it was just paradise, 72, sunny. Uh, they didn't have to worry about uh, finding food. There was just delicious fruit on all the trees, just organic sugar. You wouldn't even get fat. It was amazing. It was perfect, incredible. I don't know that for a fact. I just kind of threw that in there. Um, and, and it was just incredible paradise. Uh, but there was one thing God said, in order for you to have free will and, and to love God freely, you had to have choice. And so he uh, uh, told them about a, a forbidden tree for them not to touch from or eat. And so here we go, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate. And then she gave some to her husband, Adam, uh, who was with her, and, and he ate. And then suddenly both her eyes were open, they realized what they had done and, and the guilt and the shame came on them and they realized they were, they were naked and, and they were, there was shame coming on them from that and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then verse eight, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord because they, they knew what, what they had done. And in that moment is when sin came in the world and, and guilt, and then God spoke some repercussions that took place from that. And we uh, read about them in uh, this chapter, but I'm going to go now to verse 24. And this is the, the, the last few verses of this passage. Uh, it, it says, And the Lord God said, The man now has become like us, knowing good and evil, and he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life 
been talking about that word life a lot in this series, that he's the light of life, that the bread of life, that, that that's who Jesus was. He wants to give us back this life that we have squandered through our shortcomings and our sins. And, and they, in, this, in this passage, um, there was a tree of life. And verse 23, so the Lord God banished Adam and Eve from the garden to work the ground from which they had been taking. And after he drove them out, he placed on the east, east side of the garden an angel, a cherub, with a flaming sword blocking the path or the way like a door so that they could not come into the garden and reach the tree of life. And then go with me to Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2. And, and this is what, what, what happens is, uh, at one time, we had so much freedom, so much life, just like we read in the story of Adam and Eve. But then from the moment we were born, from the moment that sin entered our hearts, greed and, and lust and, and all that comes with that pride, suddenly there was a, a door of separation that came. And we read about it in Isaiah 59, verse 2. And it says, but your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Uh, the, uh, the title of this morning's sermon, if you're taking notes, is I Am That Door. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you that there is redemption, Father. We thank you for who you are. And I pray that for the next 30 minutes, Lord, that you will speak into our hearts, Father. No matter what season of life we are in, whether we're on the mountaintop or in the valley, you have a word for us this morning. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You guys could bring that out right now. Um, as we uh, get started, I wanted to tell you guys a very personal story about the first and only time I ever went to jail. I was nine years old. And I was stupid. And any stupid nine-year-olds out there, when you're stupid, you know, not nine years old, any stupid 19-year-olds, uh, 29-year-olds, 39-year-olds, yeah, I, I think we're all there. Okay, so you, you don't have to wave your hand, but that's okay. Uh, I love your uh, boldness right there. But I, I was a really stupid nine-year-old, and, and I had a best friend uh, when I was nine years old. His name was Zachary Sullivan, and uh, me and Zachary Sullivan, we would have like some sleepovers uh, uh, at our house, and, and some, some things that, that go on sleepovers, some things that are said are, are you know, it's just, you, you get into trouble during those times. And, and I'll, I'll never forget me and uh, Zach Sullivan, nine years old. He was sleeping over my house. I used to live at this house on uh, 3318 Brindley Road, Wall Township. And uh, we, we got this uh, um, really interesting idea that we wanted to run away and go to Florida. <laughs> That's a great idea. I was nine. And, and so, but, but, but first, before we went, went to Florida, we had to go pick up a friend uh, who didn't know that we were coming, uh, Alicia Slocum, and uh, pick her up and bring her to California with us. So we're going to add like kidnapping onto all this. Uh, and so it, it's one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, and, and we were really good at faking like we were sleeping. Like, like, we knew how to, like, totally fake out Pastor Rhonda. Um, like, we're sleeping, they go to bed, and then we wake up, and we're like, all right, here's the plan. We're going to go down Hurley Pond Road, and, and we're going to pick up Alicia here, and then we're going to walk down to Florida. Where's Florida? Uh, it's, it's south. Okay. Awesome. We got, this is a great plan, but, but what, what, this is what we needed. This is a true story. We need food. Got to have food, right? 
John, going out of Florida, got to have food. So this is what we did. We got our pillowcases. We filled up our, our pillowcases with frozen pizzas, with Hot Pockets, and a two-liter bottle of Hawaiian Punch. And we were set for Florida. And, and we got out there nine years old on the, on the dangerous streets of Wall Township. And, and we're down cruising on Allenwood Road, and, and we're free, and we think we're having a great time. And then we take a right on Hurley Pond Road on a, on a beeline track to, I wonder what we would have done if we we got to Alicia Slocum's house. That would have been a very interesting uh, encounter at the door with Ray Slocum. Uh, but ne nevertheless, we're, we're walking down Hurley Pond Road, me and uh, my buddy Zach Sullivan, two in the morning, and then all of a sudden we see some lights behind us, white lights. Then we see red lights. Then we see blue lights. And you know what happens next. And then a split second, what do we do? Oh my God, what do we do? Nine years old. So, so we froze. We literally froze, dropped our, our pillowcases, and, and, and it was an undercover police officer. Pulls, pulls us in, uh, says, what, what in the world are you guys doing? And, and, and with tears and, with, and with, 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 with sorrow, we're, we're explaining to him what we did. And, and in that moment, he, he took us in. He took us into the New Jersey State Police Station on Route 138 and, and Allenwood Road. You know the one that's, that's like kind of condemned now? Yeah, we, we shut that thing down after they, we, we went there and were arrested. And we went in there and, and they shut the doors on us. And nine years old, in jail. Anybody beat that one? And we came out, I had like teardrop tattoos. Like, like, like you know, I was, you know, gangster limp and everything. <laughs> no, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. But I, I, was, I was panicked. I was afraid. And, and the whole time I'm there, all, all I'm thinking about is how stupid that was. What was I thinking? How could I have gone so far off the track? What are my parents going to do? My future's over. I'm never going to go to college. No one's ever going to love me again. I'm going to end up, it's going to be like, like, like my future generationally in prison. Like, my whole life was flashing before my eyes. And, and as those, those doors shut, doors or gates are always a symbol of an access point. They could be a very welcoming thing or they could be a place of rejection. Uh, that, that, that door is an authority figure, an access point. And I feel like so many people, everyone here, I, I would say at one point, we are out there on the streets searching. Searching for acceptance, searching for fulfillment, searching for to find our place in society, searching to, to find life. And, and a lot of us, unfortunately, we're like the nine-year-old kids searching around Wall Township with a knapsack full of frozen pizzas, hot pockets, and a two-liter bottle of Hawaiian punch looking for life, looking for hope, looking for fulfillment. Every one of us is in one of three places here this morning. You're either lost and you don't know it yet. You're lost and you're too stubborn to stop and ask for directions. Or you're lost and finally you're in a place where you ask, God, I need your help. I'm lost. I need direction. Sin will always cost you more than you want to pay, take you further than you want to go, and keep you longer than you want to stay. And when Adam and Eve had that sin come in their life, they, 
they, they went from this place of, of freedom, of joy, of, of, of being able to finally have communion with God, a relationship with God, not have to be afraid of God and afraid of what he's going to do. And then in that moment, they transferred from the other side of that door and they were separated from God. This is what, what sin does. This is what sin does. Sin is a door that separates us from who God created us to be separates us from the life, true life, that God wants us to have access to. And this is, this is sin right here. I have really bad handwriting. Can you see that? Say yes. And this is, this is what comes with sin. Sin breathes separation. Shame. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of pressure to spell right in front of you people. And it shuns you. Separation, shame, shun. That's what sin does in our life. That's what it has done in my life. That's what it did in Adam and Eve's life. And we see on one side of this door, this, this possibility of life, this, this real joy, this real peace, this real freedom where we don't have to lie and manipulate and try and pretend to be somebody else. And, and we wish we could have this genuine real life, but there's this door that's blocking us. And I, I feel like sometimes there's like a peephole in the door and we could kind of see it, but it's temporary and it's fleeting. And we want so desperately to have this, this real life of freedom. And this was the, the scene that Jesus stepped into. He stepped into humanity trapped behind a gate, a door of sin. And as Mary was talking about last week, Jesus comes on the scene, God with skin on, and literally shifts human history forever. You cannot deny the impact that Jesus has had. Whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, Buddhist, no matter what you believe, you declare the existence and sovereignty of Jesus every single time you write a date on a calendar and you say, today is March 17th, 2019, 11.40 a.m., you're declaring that Jesus is the one who split time in half. That's how significant he was. He comes on the scene and he declares, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And then in John 10, he says, I, I am the gate. I am the door. But before he says that, I want to take us to what took place in John chapter 9. What led him to say that is so important. And in John chapter 9, Jesus is... He's rolling with, with Pedro and the boys. I thought that was funny. And he sees this man who's, who's blind. This man who's blind, and he, he's born blind, and the disciples see him, and this is what it says in John chapter 9. It says, when they went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man? or his parents, that he was born blind. Because, I mean, quite frankly, th that is a result of all the, the, the hurt and pain and, and everything in our life is a result of either our sin or somebody else's sin. So they're not lying. This is what they were taught. They were taught karma. You sow what you reap. This is the Old Testament. This is what happens. In the book of Lamentations, it, it says that our forefathers have sinned and we bear their iniquities, that, that this is what they were taught. And, and it was either one or the other. The reason that you're so dysfunctional or broken or hurting was either because of your sin or somebody else's. That's, that's just the fact. 
that they were saying and that they were stating. But Jesus, I love Jesus because this is what he does. He doesn't deny the facts. He just looks at them from a different perspective. He doesn't deny that, that that's the truth, but he says, but, but in, my, in my eye, I see something completely different. You see someone that was born in sin. You see someone that, that, that is blind because of what they've done or hurting because of what they've done. But this is what Jesus says. I love this, verse three. Neither this man nor his parents have sinned, Jesus said, but this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. That every opposition is an opportunity for the works of God to be displayed in your life and in my life. I love the way the Apostle Paul put it. He said, for you know that he shall work all things for your good, for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Doesn't mean it was good, but he will work it out for your good. That Just because you fell, just because you messed up just because somebody hurt you, just because there was a betrayal that took place doesn't mean that God cannot get the glory out of what you're struggling through. There is always something that God can pull out of even the ugliest, most broken, most disappointing circumstances in our life. And he looks at this man who was blind from birth and says, this is an opportunity for me to declare the glory of God through this man's testimony. And he looks at him, verse 6. And this is what he does. He spits on the ground. Say what? Yeah, that's in your Bible. You think the Bible's boring? No, you're boring. The Bible is awesome. Spits on the ground, made some mud with his saliva. This is getting, getting weird. Did you know that, that, that Jesus healed like, like four blind people in the, in the Bible, but he did all the healings in different ways? Because God doesn't ever want you to expect him to do something the same way twice. Because he wants our faith to be in him, not in the process. And he put the saliva on the man's eyes and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man went and washed and came home seeing. This man didn't even see Jesus. Had no idea what he even looked like. But he opened up his eyes. He starts seeing colors and shapes and people for the first time in his life. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, they saw him now with his eyes open, saying, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claim that, that it was. Others says, no, he only looks like him. The neighbors, the family members that would see him every day didn't even recognize this man after he had an encounter with Jesus. I read that scripture and I finally realized why some things make sense in my life. I love it when people see me now and they say, that is not Isaac Friedel. That is no, no shot, bro. I remember him. He was, he was wild. He was not like that. Yeah, I, that I wasn't, but I had an encounter with Jesus. And people will debate you, and they'll see you when you have an encounter with Jesus, and they won't even recognize you anymore. Why? Because you have been so changed by this encounter, so changed by this God-man named Jesus coming into your heart that you walk around, and you should be broken, and you should be hurting, but you have a joy on the inside of you that people cannot understand. They can't even recognize you anymore. And yet this man was able to declare, that was me. 
that I, I, I was at one point blind. I was at one point broken. But you know what? I met this man named Jesus, and he changed everything for me. It has been my joy as a pastor for the past 10 years to watch people walk down these aisles and watch people, some of them on the front row, who came into this church, and they were broken, and they were in depression, and they were bound by addiction, and they got a hold of the grace of Jesus Christ. And now you can't even recognize that person who they used to be because they had an encounter with Jesus. And they will be some people that will scratch their heads about you and say, there's no way that that's Lori. There is no way. How does she have a joy in her heart that I can't understand? Because I'm going through the same thing and I'm angry and I'm depressed and I'm broken. And here she is going through the same thing and yet she's not broken and yet she has a joy on her to get her through this dark season. How in the world? One word, Jesus. I had an encounter with Jesus when I was broken, and he completely changed my life. I may still look the same on the outside, but on the inside, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. And he'll do the same for you. He says, I am that man. I love that. He wasn't ashamed. He wasn't ashamed of who he used to be. He wasn't ashamed to say, yeah, I was blind, but I met Jesus. I feel like sometimes people get so ashamed of who they used to be. How in the world are people that ever know that you got in a fight and your God was big enough to overcome your enemy unless you have some scars to prove that you've been in a fight? I got to go to my friend, Apostle Paul, formerly known as Saul, on this one, because he knows what it's like to have some, some struggles in his past. This guy, if you don't know who he is, he, he, was, he was a murderer. He was someone who killed Christians for sport. He was somebody who had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he saw Jesus and his life was radically changed and he began to follow Jesus. And as he was following Jesus, everything in his life was perfect. No one ever said a negative word to him. Psych. He, he, he followed Jesus, and it, it, it brought him right into cities that he got stoned in. He was stoned because of Jesus. He, he had to uh, be whipped multiple times. He was thrown in prison. One time, he got snake bit, not by a gardener snake, but by an Asian viper. He had shipwrecks. He, he had all these things happen in his life, and then he was tested by some other religious Pharisees, some super apostles, and they said, prove to us that you are, are in God's will. Prove to us that God's hand is on your life. Prove to us that you're anointed to be an apostle and a preacher. Show us your credentials, Paul. And this is what I love about Paul. Paul said, all right, you want me to show you that God is with me? Do you want me to show you that God is using me? I'll show you how God's using me. And this is what he says, Galatians chapter 6. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. You want, you want me to prove that Jesus loves me? You want me to prove that I'm walking with Jesus? I got some scars. Someone on the front row just said, that's good. That is good. Because my scars declare that he is my healer. So when I lift my hands in worship,
I am declaring this is where the enemy tried to destroy me. This is where the enemy tried to disable me. This is where he tried to destroy my future. And this is where he tried to break my spirit and put me in a pit of depression the rest of my life. And I'm able to stand here and lift up my hands and worship a God who left the scar so I could declare that he is my healer, that he was with me when everyone else forsook me. And he is a God that is not ashamed of our scars and he is not ashamed to call us when we were in a pit and he wants us to be able to say, you know what? I have some things. I have some issues. I am that man. But now look at me. My eyes are open. Don't ever be ashamed of your testimony. Don't ever, because that testimony is going to set people free. I said it last week. I'm going to preach a sermon on it probably later on this year that there are names written inside your scars of all the people that have been set free because of what Jesus set you free from. Inside the scars of Jesus are our names. Because sometimes people need to see your scars in order to believe. And they tried to discredit this man. They should have celebrated the fact that he was, he was healed. I mean, they should have thrown him a party. He was blind and now he could see, but not everyone gets excited when God does a miracle for you. Because there's a lot of other blind people that are jealous and they'll try and discredit what God has done in your life. And the reason they do that is because they're jealous. The reason that they do it is because they feel guilty about the pit that they're still in, that the only thing that they think will make them feel better is if they pull you down in that same pit with them. And what they'll do is try and discredit what Christ has done in your life. They'll try and say, that was just a feeling. That was just emotionalism. That was just, just some kind of spiritual manipulation. Jesus isn't real. It's fake. You're still that same person that you used to be. And you need to be able to say, you know what? I, I might not be able to debate the scriptures with you, but I know what Jesus did in my life. I know that he changed me from the inside out. And you know what? You could debate theology. You could debate eschatology. You could debate all those things, but you cannot debate a changed life. You cannot debate what happened in my life that I know who I used to be, that I used to be blind, and I used to be broken, and I came into a church, and I encountered Jesus, and something happened on the inside of me, and I can't put words to it. I can't explain it. I can't articulate it, but I know what happened to me. There will always be people that will try and discredit what Christ has done inside of you. You shut the door on those people. Say, I love you. God bless you, but don't try and talk me out of what Christ has done in me. They try and mock you. They may try and make fun of you. They may try and say you're some religious zealot. But don't ever, ever let them talk you out of what Christ has done in you. And that's what they tried to do to this poor guy. Been blind his whole life. And you, you ever been so excited to tell somebody something, some great news? And then you tell them this great news and they just hate on it. It's one of the most demoralizing things. So excited to come home and, and, and I don't know, tell your parents something and, and then you come home and, and, and they, they don't even rejoice with you. One of the most demoralizing things. The Bible says we need to rejoice with those who rejoice. In John chapter 13, they brought this man to the Pharisees to try and prove if he was really healed or not. Brought him into the temple and then on that day, which Jesus had made the, 
mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. They put mud on his eyes and, 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 he, and I washed and then I was able to see, the man said. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he doesn't even keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. Who are you listening to? So often we limit what God can do in us because of the voices we listen to, the voices we allow to get inside of our heart. I'm, I'm not saying it, it, it's, it's okay. Have friends and they don't have to agree with everything. That's okay. It could get in your ears. Just don't let it get in your heart. Because when it gets in your heart, it limits what God can do through you. You're a koi fish, Alana. Did you know that? Not that Alana's a koi fish. That we're all kind of like koi fishes. Say, I'm a koi fish. Even if you don't want to be a koi fish, you're going to be a koi fish this morning. Uh, why, Pastor Isaac, you say? Because a, a koi fish is very unique in that it is comp totally impacted by its surroundings. If you take a koi fish and you put it in a fishbowl, Joe, it will grow up to four inches. That's big, right? But you take that same koi fish, you put it in a commercial fish tank, Tony, and it grows up to eight inches. Then you take that same koi fish, put it in a pond over at Hurley Pond in Wall Township. It could grow up to 16 inches. Say, that's big. But you ain't seen nothing yet. You take that same koi fish and throw it in a large body of water, the ocean or something. It has the potential to grow up to 42 inches long. That's a big koi fish. But if it's not in the right environment, It'll never grow past four inches. And the same is true for me, and the same is true for you. That's why it is so important to come into the, a church like ours, to be around some people who will speak life into you, that won't try and limit what God can do through you, to get around the right people that will talk up your testimony and not talk it down, because they will limit the potential that God can do in your life if you're listening to those voices always trying to talk you out of your miracle. They said to to, to this man. He, he can't be of God. He did a miracle on the Sabbath. Sabbath was Saturday, Sandy. It was supposed to be the day of rest. You know this. You know this, right? And, and you're not supposed to work or do anything on the Sabbath. And Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. Oh my God, he did what? Do you know that? Did you know that? This, this, could be, this could be controversial, what I'm about to say. Jesus broke a law. Oh, snap. But Jesus said, there's a, a, a greater commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. That there is a law of love that supersedes the law of man. And Jesus is saying, I, I, I'm not going to be limited by man's law because I, I, that my love for this man goes past any law that man comes up with. And, and, and that's why, you know what, I, I love that about Jesus, that, that he's willing to break the law to love somebody. He's willing to, to break what is unkosher in order to heal somebody, to reach somebody, to speak inspiration and compassion to somebody. That's who my God is. And, and forever, I, I want to be a church that is, that is always more about loving people than loving policies. 
that that's what I want our church to be known for. We love people. We don't love policies. Because that's what reaches. That's what's able to change a heart. Not a law, but love. And this man was healed on the Sabbath, and they're trying to talk him out of it. John chapter 9, verse 18. Are you guys still with me? Are you getting something? We're, we're not even there yet. We're still on the runway. But we're going to take off in just a second. Verse, verse 18. But they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they asked for the man's parents. They got the man's parents involved in this. This is like, like some CIA like crime scene investigation trying to figure out how in the world Jesus could heal this man on the Sabbath. This can't be true. Is this their son? And they said, yes, this is our son. Was he blind from birth? Yes, he was blind from birth. Then verse 24, second time they summoned the man, brought him in again to the temple. They said, give glory to God by telling us the truth, which basically is saying you better tell the truth or God's going to strike you down dead. And they said, we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. The man replied, I love this. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing's for sure. I was blind and now I can see. I love that. And I feel like some of you, you know, I might not be able to know the Greek of this word, or, or I might not be able to debate eschatology, but one thing's for sure, I was blind and I could see, and Jesus is the one that did it. <laughs> Period. <laughs> and this man didn't even see Jesus. He was blind. He didn't even really know. He, he just knew the name Jesus. Sometimes that's all you need is the name of Jesus. It's this story that I read in, in a book by one of my parents' best friends, Todd Burke, who was a missionary to Cambodia. And um, where's Gina? Hey, Gina. Gina's daughter, Joy, is uh, a missionary in Cambodia right now. And at one time, you, you weren't able to go into Cambodia. It was uh, run by one of the most evil men in, in the history of humanity, this, this dictator, communist dictator by the name of Pol Pot. And in the 70s, Pol Pot became the dictator in Cambodia, and he committed genocide in Cambodia uh, to, against anyone who was educated, anyone who had any religious beliefs, anyone who would speak anything against the government or anything against Pol Pot, and he would send these death squads. It, you read about it in your history books. They would, they would go from one village to the next, and anyone who was educated, anyone who, who, who prayed to a god, they would, they would kill and they had lots of gods in Cambodia at this time, hundreds. And they got to this one particular village. And they, they had everyone dig a ditch, and they lined everybody up in the ditch. And they were killing one after another. Boom. Falling in the ditch. They're crying out. And this one woman, read in, in this book by Todd Burke, cries out as they're getting ready to, to come and put the gun in, in her head cries out, oh God, who died by execution, save me. Didn't even know the name, but she had just heard through stories and heard through some missionaries that there was some God out there that died by execution. And in that moment, there was a, a, a distraction and, and the soldiers had to go back to the next village or, or some distraction took place. They didn't know. All they knew was that she had spoken to the God who died by execution, and it saved her life. And from that moment on, everyone in that village 
began to worship this God that died by execution. They didn't even know the name of the God. They, they didn't even have a Bible. They didn't have any Joyce Meyer DVDs to tell them about this God. They had nothing. All they had was an experience where this crying out to this God changed and saved their life. And then 15 years later, this man goes into this same village and, and he, he has a Bible and he has a cross and he starts telling them about Jesus and how Jesus died on this execution tool called a cross. for you. And, and as he is speaking, just a simple message, the whole village falls on their face, crying out because they finally had a name for this God and his name is Jesus. And when you call on his name, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all of this figured out yet. All you have to know is there is a God who loves you and accepts you and wants to open up your eyes to see the possibility of what a life with him can produce. And, and this man in the Bible, they, they wanted to discredit him. And then in verse 30, it takes, takes it to a whole nother level. The man answered and said, now this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, this Jesus, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He only listens to a godly person who will do his will. So how could a sinful man open up my eyes talking about Jesus? Nobody has ever heard of opening of eyes by a man who is born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And he's actually making sense with what he's saying. But these Pharisees didn't want to hear it. They didn't want, and this is what they did. This man who just had his eyes open, it says they replied to him, you were steeped in sin at birth. You were born in sin. There is a door separating you from the life that you want. You're, you're in sin. How dare you lecture us? And they physically took him and threw him out the door of the temple and slammed the door on his face. You're a sinner. Get out of here. Man, imagine the rejection of that. Getting thrown out of a church because you're a sinner. I'm so thankful we'll never be a church that throws anybody out. But we have a, a church where our doors are open. All are welcome. I mean, imagine the rejection of this man to be excommunicated from the temple, thrown out physically. I'm sure he's out there just questioning, like, what in the world is going on? Am I, am, can I see? Like, what, what is going on? But this is what I love. Verse 35. When Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, he went and found him. God heard. God knows. God knows the rejection. God knows the hurts. God knows what other people have done to you. God knows the shame that you have experienced. He knows. And he doesn't throw you out, but he comes and gets you. He leaves the 99 to go find the one. That's what we're going to talk about next week. And he walks outside of the temple doors, finds this man. And when he finds him, he doesn't condemn him. When he finds him, he doesn't, he, he doesn't accuse him of any sin in his life. When he finds him, this is, this is the gospel. This is how you know that you're saved. This is how you know that you're in right standing with God. This one simple question, do you believe in the Son of God? 
do you believe? The man said, yes, yes, I believe. And, and, and Jesus takes this man by, by, by the hand. And, 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 and in my mind, he, he goes back to, to, to where the Pharisees were, these people that threw him out. And as Jesus is, is with this man, this incredible Jesus, this Jesus that feeds the 5,000 just because they're hungry, this Jesus who is able to tell a woman who was caught in adultery that should be stoned, he who has no sin cast the first stone, this Jesus that is full of compassion, that is willing to go outside of the temple gates and find the man who has been thrown out and rejected. He finds him and brings him back to the temple gates, the same Jesus Then, when he asked them, who are you? Who do you think I am? This is what they said. You are Christ, son of the living God. And he said, blessed are you, Simon Peter, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And now, Peter, you are the rock. And on this church, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, the gates of sin, the gates of shame, the gates of rejection, the, the, the gates of, of, of your shortcoming shall not prevail against you, Peter. And in that moment, Jesus, this is, this is what he does. And this blew my mind when I read it. As he's standing at, at, the, at the gate, where this man was thrown out, he looks at them and declares, declares this, I am the gate. I am sin. I am the separation, the rejection. I am the shame. I am, that, that, that's because Jesus, the Bible says, he who knew no sin, he who knew no separation from God, he who knew no shame, he who knew no, no rejection from God became sin, became rejection so that we might become the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. Jesus became so that I can belong. He became sin so I can be forgiven. He became separation so I can be received. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because I needed to do it so I could accept Rick into my kingdom. I am I am the door. I am the sin. And he who comes to me shall be saved. And then when Jesus took his last breath on that cross, the Bible tells us the one who ascended also descended into the gates of hell. And when he got there, he fulfilled what David prophesied in Psalms chapter 24, when he said, oh, ye everlasting gates, be lifted up and let the king of glory come in. They said, who is this king of glory? It is Jesus. I am the Lord mighty in battle. I have just defeated death and sin and shame so that now this is what I love watch out because it's flying open that door that was once shut is now an open door it's an open door Jesus died so that you don't have to be separated because of your sin and your shame and your shortcomings any longer it says I am that door in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 7, it says, See, I have placed before you an open door. Jesus will never slam that door in your face. All you have to do is walk through that door. Another side, on the other side of that door is real peace and real joy. Doesn't mean that life's going to be perfect. It's not. Asked the Apostle Paul. He, he had some struggles. But what it means is you'll be able to declare just like the Apostle Paul did. 
that the sufferings of this present age cannot be compared to the glory that God has placed before me. That's what salvation is. What a good God. What an amazing Jesus we serve. So you want to know what happened to me when I was nine years old? Do you want me to finish that story for you? In the back, do you want me to finish that story? Okay. <laughs> You're getting ready for me. You're clapping and getting ready for me to like be locked up for 10 years. No, that's not what happened. So I had to get escorted back home by the police because I was very dangerous at nine years old. Dangerous kid. And, and uh, I'm, I'm terrified. I am, I'm so afraid. Um, you know, what are my parents going to do? You know, then throw me out. You know. And, and I knock on the door. Cops there. My parents run out. And they gave me the biggest hug I've ever had in my life. I didn't even come inside the door. They met me outside the door and pulled me back inside. And I said, Isaac, I, I told, we didn't know what happened to you. We were terrified, and here you are. And, and they gave, I mean, they gave me love. They gave me a, a, a butt whooping about 15 minutes later, but that's okay. That's another, that's another sermon. Uh, but, but I did not get, when I got home, what I thought. And the same is true for you. He will meet you outside the door. He, he, he got off his throne and became so you can become. Amen. Stand to your feet if you're able to. Amen. How many can, can relate to this? That you've had some doors slammed in your face by people before. You've had some rejection take place in your life before. I want you to know Jesus has heard and he's here to find you and bring you back. Let's bow our heads and, and pray right now. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are the door that never will shut in our face. Father, this morning, Whatever our heart is, whatever our, our hurt is, whatever we're struggling with this morning, God, we lay it on the altar. Father, you became sin. You became rejection so that we can become accepted. If anyone's in here and you're carrying a heavy burden, I want you to know in the name of Jesus this morning, he wants you to give him that burden. If you're in here this morning and you have been so skeptical of church and you have been so skeptical of, of, of uh, a, a church organization and, and you have so many questions about the Bible and this contradiction or that contradiction, I want you to know that he, Jesus is okay with your doubts and he still wants to have an encounter with you in your life. And you may not ever have all of your questions answered, but what God will do for you is he will change your heart. He will change you from the inside out and he will turn you into a new creation, the Bible says. If you're in here this morning and you've been shut out because of sin and shame and mistakes that you've made and, and you want to have a relationship with God, I want you to know the door is open and he's reaching his hand out to pull you back in. How, did, how does that happen? He said it perfectly. 
do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's just say this prayer together. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you came and found us when we were thrown out on the streets, rejected and broken. And you came and found us with eyes of grace. Please forgive me for where I sinned, where I fell. I believe that you are my Savior, that you died on the cross for me. And I commit my life to you to listen for your voice and follow in your footsteps. In Jesus' name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If, if you prayed that prayer and you want to make that commitment to Christ, I just want you to lift your hand up on the count of three. One, two, door is open. Three, did it right now. Yes, amazing, amazing, amazing. Give the Lord a big hand clap right now. God, you see those hands right now. Praise you, Father. Come on, come on. Can you do better than that? Put your hands together. Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice.